Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. Coming from California, here's Aaron Alvarado and David Stauffer. Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. Aaron, we have a new champion, a new Best Picture winner, and it hails from South Korea, and that is Parasite. We are here to talk about it, but first, how are you doing? How's Los Angeles? Feeling pretty good. LA has a little bit of warm streak, which is nice. We're breaking mm. up winter. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think uh, everyone at work is talking about Parasite, so are I they? figured this is a good time to to get talk, talking about it on the pod. So, well, uh, we're not uh, we don't have that warm streak yet here in Sacramento. I will say, hopefully, it works its way up north towards us. Right now, what we do have a streak of we have a streak of a little bit of coronavirus. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if you saw the news, but the first community spread uh, cases in the United States happened to be right here in the old hometown of Sacramento on a few of our college campuses in quarantine. So um, I'm sure you'll be fine, though. You'll be fine. Sure. Sure. Did you uh, Mm -hmm. did you happen to buy a mask? Okay, so uh, they are sold out in all the stores. I kid you not. That's actually a thing. Can't buy masks anymore. Also worth noting, the masks don't actually do anything. Uh, this is, <laughs> of course they're sold out. This virus will work. will find its way. The, the mask is not going to keep you. Not like the simple, you know, almost like the surgical mask. That, yeah, it's not going not gonna to keep coronavirus out. Uh, Just had a great idea. Can yeah. you put on your stormtrooper helmet? You know, will I, I literally was going to start the pot with a helmet on. The helmet Smart. was going to be on, and I was just going to be, I, was, I am corona ready. Um, <laughs> Question, since you're the Star Wars head. Yeah. Does... Um, Vader's mask, will that block out a coronavirus? Vader's mask, much better than any other mask, it operates quite like a literal gas mask, right? You got the little Ooh. dots in the... Bu- yeah. yeah. You got the... Where the, the, the stormtrooper, you know, it makes your voice sound cool, which is great, but that virus is going right through that plastic. It's not even... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not even... Yeah. It's going go right th- through that thing. There's no air, air filter in that thing. None. None. Vader's mask, on the other hand... What's Probably that? Has some serious ventilation okay, on yeah. Vader's mask. Yeah, no, it's built that way. It's, it's built to last. It's built to last. Uh, Vader definitely was a germaphobe. He had. Yeah. He was considering viruses. He was considering, and he wanted to make sure. You know, chemical warfare was a thing that he was aware of. Um, it's basically that's basically the same mask they wear when they paint a car. If you've yeah, ever seen that's that right. happen, yeah, oh yeah, that's exactly right. Same exact filtration system. <laughs> so, oh. I was gonna say for those of you listening, uh, I, I you know I think that the there's no there's no real upside to coronavirus um, except maybe while you're quarantined inside your homes, it would be a good opportunity to purchase and watch the digital copy of Parasite from iTunes or Amazon Prime or wherever you watch a digital stream. You're gonna have a lot of time here coming up. Oh. Um, you're gonna be inside the home, and uh, there's gonna be a lot of good movies to go through. So I guess that's the upside. Um, but yeah, we're in the middle of an outbreak as we speak. So, uh, thoughts and prayers would be appreciated here in the Sacramento area. Um, so <laughs> moving on, uh, Aaron, we talked about Parasite on our top 10 films of the year pod. You and I both had it towards the top of our list. Where was it for you? For me, it was number two, right behind mm. Uncut Gems. Oh, wow. Okay. And I had I'm it now three. rethinking that. So. Yeah, I, I was number three. You said you were rethinking that? 
No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> it's still but number two, but we're, it's, it's we're a part very of a family on iTunes, by the way. And I texted yes, let you, let you know that Uncut Gems is now purchased on our iTunes account. So I cannot we, wait to watch it in 4K. Yes, and I hope you bought it in 4K. Oh no, I did the SD one. I thought you wanted it Ooh. to be filmic. Um. Wow, <laughs> you got the VHS copy. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but do you remember how bad VHS quality was? By of the course. Way? Of course. Like half the movies are just not even watchable. Oh. It was real. I mean, look, they're releasing these like retro apps where you can like film themes to make them look like they were recorded on VHS. And it's just not, I don't have that desire at all. It's like, no, no. this isn't, you know, like, I don't know. I fear the day that things get so retro that I, you know, my future children bring home a VCR. They're so excited about the idea of rewinding tapes to watch again <laughs> as if that's like the cool you know it's like their vinyl record player it's like no sure. this isn't this isn't good this isn't fun it's, ha- it's gonna happen for sure it absolutely oh is of course I can, well i mean we're on the it's gonna happen before i have children that <laughs> grow old enough to be able to do that to me it's, it's we're on the precipice of it happening you know well your months. kids are gonna be lucky because you have one of those uh race car vhs rewinders don't you oh yeah it's super speed yeah, yeah. oh yeah that's because I got one too many warnings from the old blockbuster that we were returning our tapes not rewound. I kid you not. I mean, we got a warning on, on our family account. These are these this family are not they are not rewinders is what it said. Well, yeah. So your parents had to invest in a uh, standalone rewinder. Do you, I remember like seeing, a Lamborghini. That was, look, we're going to talk about Parasite, which is like a, a movie about classism. But I will tell you what. That was the difference, certainly between the lower class and the middle class in my neighborhood, was whether or not you had a dedicated rewinder, <laughs> or the one that came with the VHS <laughs> or VCR. Excuse me. You're, uh, yeah, you're right. Well, you didn't want to burn out the motor, so you had to uh, buy the rewinder. I remember. I remember seeing my first DVD player uh, neighbor. Um, in fact, neighbor slash mechanic, the guy who worked on our cars. Uh, his name was Roy. I called him Gunk. Um, and uh, Gunk shows us the DVD menu and how you hit play. You can start. You can hit chapters. You can pick a chapter, and you got a little thumbnail image of what you know what scene. And then he showed us. He'd go back to the home menu, and you could hit play, and it would start from the beginning. And I, I, I truly, I, my mind was so blown. It wasn't even the quality. It wasn't the digital. It was, no, it was the fact that you didn't have to rewind. It truly was a miracle to me. Um, and I was sold. And yeah, I've been dedicated to DVDs being... ever since. Yeah, still, still to this day, yeah. I remember being blown away that you could stop the DVD and then come back to it, and it's in, in the exact same spot. <laughs> like, whoa, this is amazing! <laughs> Your pause in the VCR didn't work so well. <laughs> no, mm-mm. there was no pause button. You just oh, put it in and started gosh. playing automatically. Oh, that's so funny. I, yeah, I remember special features was an exciting thing. Easter eggs. There was there were DVD menu Easter eggs. Yeah, was a thing. That's so funny. You know, I that reminds me. I'm going to go on a little story here, a little story tangent. Uh, but I um, I served a two-year Mormon mission um, to the great state of Illinois. And uh, for those of you who don't know how this works, but any anyone uh, that decides to serve a Mormon mission, you fill out paperwork. You don't get to choose where you go. You fill out paperwork, and then they send you a letter that says, all right, you're assigned to this place for two years. And it's exciting because you can go to Thailand or Norway or, you know, Dominican Republic or, in my case, to Peoria, Illinois. And um, and uh, when I got there, uh, the, the guy that was running the mission, the, basically the adult in charge, what's called the mission president, 
he uh, he had heard that I liked doing video work, and he was like, "Let's put this to good use. Let's. I want you to make a mission DVD that we can send to people after they get their letter that gets them excited because just the words Illinois on it isn't you know." People aren't jumping on that jet excited to go, you know, knock doors in, uh, you know, on in cornfields. And so so I made this DVD and the DVD involves me interviewing a bunch of these other missionaries. Again, we're 19 to 21 year old kids. We're mostly very immature. So I've got a lot on the cutting room floor, a lot of bloopers, put it that way. And, and there's some really there's like some pretty funny bloopers. And I asked if I could include the bloopers on the DVD. And he was like, no, nah, we want it to be kind of serious. You know, we don't want it on there. I was like, okay. And so I, uh, I learned when I was building the DVD, I had learned how to use Adobe Encore, which is like DVD authoring software. And I learned that I could program the remote controls. Basically, I could hide the, the bloopers in a hidden menu. And if and basically it was like a, a cheat code in a video game. If you went left, 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 up, up, down, down, right, 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 enter, it would play the clip. And so I, I littered the DVD with so much stuff that was not visibly accessible. And I, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was, it was like me and like one other guy knew. And we loved this thing. And we would show other, like other missionaries, like, check this out. And we would do one of the codes. And they're like, what? How do we access it? And we're like, we wouldn't tell them, you know. And uh, there's some like pretty funny clips in there. Uh, well, the, you know, my genius plan unraveled when <laughs> about the third or fourth new crop of missionaries came in that had gotten the DVD. And uh, our mission president, you know, was asking each group, you know, what'd you think of the DVD? And, you know, most of them were like, oh, it was really, really great. And the one dude's like, I loved the bloopers. And he's like, bloopers? He's like, yeah, I, the guy put it in his DVD. He put it in his, uh, excuse me, his computer. Okay. Not his DVD player. And he put it in his computer, which popped up basically the software. And it shows you all of the video clips that are accessible on the thing. Like not in the menu. And he watched all of them. And I'll never forget the mission president looks over at me and he's like, huh, bloopers, huh? Interesting. (laughs) Bloopers in the DVD. Uh Uh-huh. That's fun. And I'm like, just sitting there like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So anyway, that's my my DVD story for you. That's so good. (laughs) Busted. Um, (laughs) But it was funny. I, I remember like, it was like a couple months later, I got a call from the mission president. He was like, hey, what were the, uh, how do I, uh, is it left, left, right, right? And he was like wanting to know what it was yeah, to yeah, like yeah. access because he thought they were actually, he ended up th- thinking they were quite funny. And so um, <laughs> he wasn't really. He had to write down it. the code for him. Yeah. It's like the old days with the video game. I mailed game. it to him. Yeah, I wrote it down. down hand, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a full, I thought it was a great idea. I thought I was really smart, but I was, turns out I was dumb. <laughs> what so the mistake you made was telling anybody about it so. yeah that's you're exactly right i mean the guy would have found it anyway but sure. you know uh um, who doesn't pop a dvd into their pc that's what i'm that's uh, watching watching dvds on their computer what, what are these people doing you know what's funny about that i don't know if you remember but in the in the late 90s like early 2000s bands used to put like hidden stuff on the their cds so if you put it in the DV, in your computer you would get like wallpaper. Yeah. This was like in the early days of the internet. That's right. Wallpaper. Sometimes there'd be music videos on there. Um, stuff like that. So no one does that anymore, I don't think. No. No, they do not. Um, <laughs> no. Because no one's popping it in. Heck, I remember. No. I, yeah. I mean, I think it was Windows 95 came with the song Buddy Holly by Weezer. I believe. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Gosh. The, the little presents you'd get. What do we mm-hmm. get now? What do we get now? We just 
you get what you get now is constant updates constant because updates. my computer yeah just will my windows computer never stops updating yeah we don't get presents every third day we get we get bogged down we get slowed up we get malware and we have to like <laughs> we have to update it. it takes hours it shuts down you know like yeah. I, I can't even i can't update my the software to the next os during a work day because it puts me out of commission it's it's no good i miss the 15 days hours presents. later yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. well let's get into parasite we got to talk about this. Like I said, we did talk about this movie in our top 10 pod briefly because it was your number two of the film after Uncut Gems. It was my number three film of the year after um, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which was my number one, and then The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which was my number two. And so um, needless to say, we're both pretty high on this movie. I think we were also both pretty surprised that it was awarded Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Pleasantly surprised, even if you know I enjoyed once upon a time in Hollywood more as a film overall, this was still just an absolute deserving film. Um, and in it's historic, the fact that it's a foreign language film that's, you know, entirely in subtitles just never happened before for a best picture winner. And so, um, so I, w- I want to have a conversation about how you experienced this film, because I think you saw a little bit later, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, in, in its hype cycle, because this film came out, and there's some hype that was really starting to build. And then it kind of hit a fever peak, a fever pitch where it was like masterpiece, definitely a lock to be nominated for best picture, uh, which was a huge feat in and of itself, let alone winning, you know, for a foreign language film. Um, so with that hype going in, I'm curious, what was that experience like for you? Did it deliver? Did it exceed your expectations? Walk me through it. Yeah, for me. Um, so, you know, I had heard about this movie, Parasite. Honestly, I didn't even know really anything about it. I watched the trailer and I just mostly I just heard that it was incredible film and you needed to see it. No one was really talking about what it why you needed to see it. And that was like one of the things they said. I don't want to explain too much, but you really just need to go see this movie. Don't even watch the trailers. What I was told after the after I had watched it. So, um, but yeah, I, I think uh, so going to see this movie, we actually my wife and I um, went on a Saturday night and it wasn't playing anywhere near us. We actually had to go drive about 25 miles away. It was playing in um, LA. In this produ- yeah, exactly. Wow. So it was this was a limited release. Um, I think we actually missed the first wave. So we had to drive um, to this this uh, theater that's in like a predominantly Asian type of, or Asian neighborhood. So it's mainly Chinese. Um, and so in this movie, it's Chinese and Korean in that area. In in the theater, the Saturday night big theater, it was packed. Like it was jam packed. Every seat was taken, and um, we I was like probably the only non Asian person in that movie theater. Wow. It was it was a really interesting experience. Um, so yeah, I got to, I felt like I got to um, have a unique experience just in that sense, sitting in that theater where all these people, whether they were Korean or Chinese or you know like my wife Filipino, they. Um, you know, they didn't necessarily have themselves represented on the screen, but it is an Asian movie. Like, it's specifically Asian cinema. This is a uh, South Korean movie by South Korean filmmaker and cast. But, like, this is... Asian cinema is completely different from American cinema. And, yes, of course, every country has their own unique flair. But um, uh, just, like, in, in that setting, I felt it was really appropriate and actually added to the experience. Um, because, again, the movie is completely... Or not completely, but it is mostly uh, in Korean. So there's very few scenes with English spoken. Um, and what I found just watching it remarkable was uh, getting, it, it, the way that I felt was like instantly sucked in. There's 
you know, it's subtitles, which I've seen a million subtitled movies, and sometimes it's it can be hard for me to to really feel engulfed by a movie that has subtitles. Um, but this one, for whatever reason, I just felt like five minutes in, I was sold. I, I didn't even feel like I was reading. I felt like I was just experiencing this movie like they were talking to me, and I was understanding what they were saying. Um, and it was it was awesome. Just like from that mo- just from the early moments, I felt like, oh, this is different. There's something about this is particularly engrossing. And um, just getting into the story, I thought was uh, it, it was just so fascinating. I love the the, the 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 themes early on just hit you right in the face. Mm-hmm. Like it is it's, it's a movie about class, like right off the bat. You're introduced to this family that is essentially living underground. Um, I, I've heard some like uh, some interviews with uh of Bong Joon-ho and um, he talked about like specifically putting this family in that basement apartment because it, it's not actually a basement apartment it's an apartment that sits like right on the edge of underground and then just like your head is basically above the ground so it's like you, you're existing in both worlds and you get that by uh, the the window that they have in their apartment uh, which is interesting the a thematic choice. I didn't even realize it, but yeah. obviously he made that choice and it makes perfect sense. Um, but yeah, so like right away you're aware of class. Like you are aware that this is a family that is poor. Um, they're working class. They are poor. They all live together in this little hobble, this little basement. Um, they all work together. They all live together. And it's the struggle. Like this is the this the life that they're struggling through. Um, and it's a family. Like that is, so that's one of the main uh, principles of a lot of Asian cultures is how closely their families are related. A lot of times they will have, you know, elders that live with them their entire lives as the kids have their grandparents that live with them basically as a second set of parents. And so this movie is, again, it's one of those things where the family is close knit and uh, you see how that develops over this, the way the story plays out. And I don't know if you want me to get into it or you can explain how this story goes, but basically like that's the themes, the, the thing that really hit me right off the bat was, um, the subtitle sucked me right in and the themes like right off the bat it hit me and I was like oh this I'm gonna love this this is like this this movie is talking my language even though it's in Korean so I loved it yeah it, it what was immediately clear to me also was like <laughs> this was a sharply written film um and I don't mean that like just the, you know in the subtitle sense obviously but like just the dialogue as they're having even early on you're like oh this is okay this is it I w- it pulled me right in. I mean, the direction is the cinematography, everything about it. You're like, oh wow, this is like a really. This feels like a. I don't want to say like high quality. It's it's accessible, but it's also done in a way that's like, I don't know. You could tell it's special, and it, I'm having a hard time articulating that. But between the, the 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 writing of the film, the dialogue, and the acting, especially with this this primary family that we're referring to, that live in this kind of semi basement dwelling. Um, in some inner city, I, I forget which city exactly it's supposed to take place in, but, um, it, I mean, it's like, okay, it's like, it kept me on my toes in terms of like, yeah, this is really, really good, but like, what do you, where, I know this is like a movie that's about class conflict, like social inequality, wealth disparity. It's, it was, that's pretty clear early on. Um, not in a way that like necessarily beats you over that. I mean, it is, it is a, that is the theme of the film, but it, uh, they tell the story in that construct that is like so captivating and also tonally fascinating and that's what's really hard to describe to people people have asked me before what is parasite a thriller is it a suspense movie is it a is it a is it a comedy it is is it a mystery 
Is it a like? And it's like, uh, yes, 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 no, yes. I mean, some of that. So you know, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly where it fits because it does these kind of tonal shifts that are really, really fascinating. It's a little bit of all that stuff. Um, but part of that, like why I felt I'm so happy that it won best picture is that it really just feels like a movie. It feels like a ride. It's, it's a cinematic experience because there are parts that are legitimately funny. There are parts that are legitimately devastating. There are parts that are legitimately shocking. And the fact is I honestly couldn't tell you what direction this, this film was headed. You know, it, it's not a predictable movie. You don't totally know where it's going. Um, you know, the last third of the film is pretty eye-opening. Um, I mean, even like looking it up on Wikipedia to see the way it describes the film, it literally calls it a South Korean black comedy thriller film. It leads with black comedy <laughs> and then calls it a thriller, which is really interesting. Like there are comical elements, there's no doubt. But and, and maybe I should explain a little bit. The basic structure of this is this this family that's um, certainly living in poverty in Korea. Um, uh, it's, you know, a, a mother, father and a son and daughter. The son through a friend. Uh, gets this gig to be a tutor to this daughter in this really rich family, very wealthy family. Um, the son doesn't exactly have the qualifications. He doesn't have a college degree or anything like that. So they kind of have to fudge it, but he's certainly smart enough to pull it off. And so he, he kind of um, gets kind of uh, associated with this family in this capacity of a tutor and starts to see opportunities for the rest of his family members to also uh, have jobs with this wealthy family and without disclosing the fact that he's related to these people, they basically one by one try to uh, secure jobs with the family, which also involves getting the current people that are in those jobs gone through various means. And you know, I won't say too much more beyond that, but it's really why part of the part of the reason why it's called Parasite is that idea of them kind of um, leeching or being a parasite into this. I, I think that that the title of the film is much more. Um, dense and complicated nuance than just that one interpretation but that's part of the surface level idea is that this poor family is kind of starting like parasites are starting to uh deceptively ingrain themselves into the lives of this of this wealthy family that are kind of unassuming and you know seemingly gullible to this kind of ruse and so that's kind of what's going on and as you can imagine at some point crap hits the fan how exactly it does even though you kind of know it's going to at some point the way it does is something that I could have never really anticipated and it's kind of brilliant and it's shocking and it's, it's wild. And, um, again, I don't completely want to unique. It's I think really it's unique. Completely it's really unique. is. Yeah. Yeah. It's unlike, I've, unlike anything I would have, I could have ever anticipated <laughs> the way they do it. Yeah. It, I think it's, it's one of those twists that you just have to, I, I hate even saying that it has a twist, but I know I think it's it, not. Yeah, I know. Cause it's not a twist in the to. traditional sense, right? It is not a traditional twist by any means, but it is a, the movie gets turned on its head. I'll put it that way. Um, and in the best possible way, it, it's absolutely fascinating when that happens. And I think the, what, um, what I really noticed about this movie more than anything that, I felt like I was watching art. So yeah. there's many, many movies that are made that do not feel like art. Yes, they are some form of art, but this feels like high art. This feels like a, a, a classic, traditional, s cinematic masterpiece type of art um, that you're watching on screen. And the reason I feel that way, is I feel justified in calling it an art, is because I think you can take... <clears throat> excuse me. I think you can... <clears throat> looking at this movie and from your 
own personal perspective you can put on this movie your feelings. So like you said, how this movie has multiple meanings of Parasite is if you have a certain perspective on life and you watch this movie, you're going to side with one family that's in it. Now, if you have a different perspective on life, you're probably going to side with the other family. So this is why, like any good piece of challenging art, you don't get, your hand is not held in explaining what this movie is about or what you should feel. Like this movie just plays out and you feel however you feel as the viewer. That is... For me, that's the definition of good art. It just, it does not explain it to you. It doesn't have to. Like, it just presents itself, and you understand that your interpretation is personal. And I think this is a movie where it's like one of those inkblot tests, right? So you get shown this inkblot and this this blotch of ink, and you determine what you're looking at. Um, And I I think that because of that, um, this movie is probably better than... um, just the sum of its parts because yeah. you're you're projecting your own self on this thing, which is like that's the the, the best movies are that way. Um, the the way that I see it, so yeah, I, uh, yeah this movie is just a joy to watch. It's great it's, you, from start to finish. I think I love the way you put that. You are you certainly articulate it better than I could. But there there are no there's really no good guys and bad guys in this movie, in in the traditional sense. I mean, no. there are people that make there are decisions made by all parties. That you have to wrestle with and and like to your point your life experience your personal viewpoints um whether gained through your experience or i hesitate to say political viewpoints i don't know that that necessarily maybe it plays some part i guess that's part of life experience but you're going to uh empathize a little bit more with one of these families more than the other and i'm not even talking about whether or not you're poor you would resonate with the poor family you're rich you're, that's that's not even it actually no, I, I think it's that it's than that. the motive both like, again there are decisions made by both families <laughs> both people involved that you really have to wrestle with and i don't know that it's clear cut and I, I even had a couple of coworkers that saw it recently and it was fascinating even having that conversation with them you know where it was like oh but if one person would have just done that then they wouldn't have been you know the bad guy or the bad person or the bad you know and it was it's just fascinating because like i just think that there's many different ways to like to your point to, to approach that uh the whole dilemma of like who's who's right here who's who's correct who, who am i rooting who is the parasite for? exactly yeah. and who is the parasite really who right. is the parasite it's really really fascinating and i like that you know bong joon ho this is not his first film that covers uh you know the type of class either class warfare or social despair, you know, um, income disparity themes. I mean, Snowpiercer certainly is very uh, nakedly that. Uh, that's the Chris Evans train film for those who haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it does it in a way that I feel like Bong is allowed, like to your point, al- again, allowing people to interpret it and to view it through their own lens like any good piece of art. I, I don't think that he, he has a message in this film but I don't think that he's beating people over the head with this one correct way to view this film in this binary. These are the good ones. These are the bad ones. It's not, it's really not that. Um, yeah. Simple. Which is really interesting because last year we also saw a movie that talked about class distinctly between two families in the movie us. Mm-hmm. Right. So us is like an interesting American parallel to this, yeah. but it is handled um, not as precisely as something like parasite it's much more upfront about who you're supposed to be associating with or who you're supposed to uh, be 
feeling for, I guess. Mm. Um, I liked Us. I think the, the movie got some backlash after it initially came yeah, out. So it, up, I Us was it. in I my top was, 10, so I, I loved Us. Yeah. And, and I, the only thing I would push back against is, and I don't want to reveal the ending of Us, but I will say the ending is up for debate about um, whether the one of the main characters is good or bad. Sure, exactly. But, but I would say you're correct in in the sense of like it's on the surface as you're watching the film it's it's certainly not approaching it with the nuance that Bong Joon-ho does here in Parasite. Yeah, and I don't and I don't think that's necessarily an indictment on uh what's his name Jordan, Jordan Peele. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say Jordan Peterson, but it is definitely not Oh yeah, no, 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 it's not very different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jordan Peele. I I don't think it's any sort of indictment on him. It's just the yeah. fact that this is a, a different story. And Bong Joon-ho is just a different director. Like yeah. he's much quieter. And I think one of the most striking things about Parasite is like visually, this movie feels like so precise. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. It, like the lines, the shapes, the, every decision that's made in the art direction in the background is just so handcrafted. It feels like he, it feels like he drew it out. Yeah, I, no, I think absolutely. that he probably did. Yeah. But it feels like it was drawn out like a comic book, and then he it's like put on the screen. So it's very precise, very linear, very angular, and the choices are really interesting and stark. So again, this is all part of why it feels like a a, a work of art. Yeah, I've got. It feels like a movie that's been just you know that's just been like something he's been wrestling with and working on for a long time. And even though this obviously isn't his first film, he's and he's made many other very very good films. Some great. it feels like it's like I don't want to necessarily equate it to this, but like an artist's first album that they've been working on and touring with forever and ever and ever. And they finally come out and, you know, it's like Weezer's Blue Album. Those are 10 songs that are all finely crafted because they've been working on it years and years. And it's like they they launch with like what I'd consider a perfect album because of all of the care taken, you know, track by track. This the scenes in this feel painted to your point or drawn out in a way that's like whether or not he's been working on it for years and years it's he he took care that i i don't know that i saw in any other film in 20 uh what 19 um i mean there it's funny some of the shots seem iconic a lot of them do, dealing with stairs especially in like the, the the wealthy family's house walking upstairs into the second story or coming from the lower level i think like the garage area up there's a lot of framing and things that are done that are used a lot in the promos but every, really every shot feels so specific, whether it's a dolly shot. Each cut feels very, very exact. Like this wasn't a film that found its way in the editing room, found itself in the editing room. This movie found itself long before the camera even came out, right? It, this thing was, it really feels like it was ready to go. Yeah, uh, I think it just, again, you can just look at a still of this movie and it looks like a friggin' photograph. It, yeah. It's That's amazing, right? Yeah. So. It's very, very difficult to pull off, and the the, the um, there is something about this movie visually where it just it looks like very extremely modern, and it feels like um, it it takes place in the absolute modern day. Like something about it, it's like it's the way it is digitally shot and and, and uh, rendered is obviously modern, but there's something about it that feels like um, like a little antiseptic, yeah. and especially especially the scenes that take place in the wealthy family's yes. home. Yes. Like that, that feels like clinical. It feels like this is like, this is binary code. Like this is like very, very stark. Um, it's not soft at all. It's harsh lighting. Um, and that, that's like, that's how a lot of rich people live. Like there's, there's no comfort there. It's just like 
stark angular lines yeah. and order and there's space. Whereas when you contrast that with the poor family's living situation, it, like it's just pure chaos. Like yeah. they're, they're living on top of each other. Their toilet is like yeah. a, a mess. Folding it's on pizza top of boxes. a bathtub. It's yeah. exactly, exactly. So this movie is uh again you know it's cliche but it's a study in contrast like that's what this is like they're just butting up against each other and uh it's just a gorgeous film like visually it's stunning yeah i i I put up on the facebook feed here just one of the kind of promotional kind of posters for it and seeing the critic reviews the quotes that they chose to put on it it kind of speaks to the fact that this movie can be described in many different ways thematically and these quotes they i'll just read through them First one says a masterpiece. The next one says wickedly funny, which is again, interesting as if that's the one snippet from a review, wickedly funny. The next one, roaringly furious. The fourth one, an international phenomenon and the fifth and final one, thrilling, mischievous, dazzling. Like those are a lot of different uh, adjectives to use to describe a single film. And all mm-hmm. of them are still true. I don't disagree with any of them. Uh, but it's just amazing that you could get all these different, like roaringly furious, wickedly funny, thrilling, mischievous, dazzling, a masterpiece. It's a phenomenon. It's all these different ways to describe it, which is really, I don't know, it speaks to what I consider to be this full cinematic experience. Um, and that, that full experience is um, really uh, on display with the, the final sequence of this film. And we're not spoiling anything, so I won't say what happens. But I will say the what kind of caps off this masterpiece because this film is a masterpiece um, is the sequence that was just breathtaking and heartbreaking and shocking. And, um, and it ends on this note that is perfect given everything that you just experienced watching this movie. Uh, It's really just one of the excellent endings I've seen in (laughs) recent memory. Uh, It's like so, so perfect. Um, And it's so bold what Bong Joon-ho does. It's like incredibly bold. And um, yeah, it's like, it's like if you ever, if you ever go out for like a decently fancy dinner and then at the very end, they just put out like the most amazing dessert you've ever had in your life. <laughs> and it's just like the perfect cap for yeah. this amazing meal that you just had. I, I think this ending is, it's flawless. Like this movie could not have a better ending than, than they pulled off. And it's just, it hits every note. Um, it's it's one of those endings that you think about for literally a week after, if not more. I mean, I, you know, I saw it months ago, and I'm still thinking about it. It's it's uh it's pretty special. I'll just put it that way. Again, don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. But this well, go, it's just the perfect end cap to a movie. I people go see this movie. It's still playing in theaters places. It's available digitally on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Amazon, YouTube, wherever. It's on Redbox. You can get it from Redbox. Do the Redbox machine. Get the DVD. I don't (laughs) know if it's on Redbox's new streaming service or not, but. um, Go to the library. You can uh, rent it. Go to the library. Yeah. Um, And so seek this film out. I will say personally that uh, foreign language films are a a bit of a blind spot for me. I would love to sit here and claim that I am well steeped and well versed in all the great foreign cinema of the past century. And the reality is I'm not, I've hit, I've seen some of the highlights. (laughs) Well, you're an American, so you just don't care about any other country. (laughs) That's just, I live in the greatest country on on earth. We're we're making the greatest movies. Why do I need anything else? Right. No, I kid. Um, 
I mean, this is a great country, and we do make great movies. But Parasite, <laughs> Parasite. Is I like to think of this country is the best worst country. So. <laughs> Again, but a study in contrast. Watching Parasite makes me wonder how many other movies are there like this that I have not discovered because there it's a foreign language film. And as Bong Joon Ho has been collecting all this hardware in terms of awards and trophies, you know, even leading up to the Oscars, he he had said in one of his acceptance speeches, and I don't recall exactly which one, if it was the Golden Globes or which one it was, but he had this line where he says, um, kind of encouraging people to get over subtitles, um, and his quote is, once you overcome the one-inch-tall barrier of subtitles, you'll be introduced to so many more amazing films. And I love that quote. Because it's true. Parasite is a great example of that. And that's why I try to encourage everyone to see it. And not just for cinephiles, or people who love foreign I mean, anyone to go see it. Uh, I well, didn't you say your mom saw it and she loved it? Yes. Yep. And she said, like, reading the subtitles, she immediately forgot that there were subtitles five minutes in. It just doesn't. I mean, it's just not a it becomes not a barrier at all. And uh, and yeah, she 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 enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, the uh, I, I did want to ask you, though. What are some of the hallmark foreign language films of your life growing up in cinema? Ones that have been, whether they've been so huge that they've permeated the cultural zeitgeist or, or kind of pop culture, um, or ones that maybe aren't well known but really had an impact on you that you wish had a bigger audience. Like, what are some of the cultural touchstones of foreign language cinema through the years for you? Yeah, like you, I'm not like widely versed on on foreign film. Unfortunately, I, you know, I've I've seen a lot, but. Not really. Um, I wouldn't say that I uh, I'm particularly well versed, um, but really it started for me. I didn't watch foreign films when I was a kid at all or even a teenager. But what happened was once I saw um, Pulp Fiction and I like kind of got into Tarantino and and read his interviews and where he talked about like all this stuff that influenced him and how he was such a fan of the uh, a lot of Asian cinema, a lot of uh, Chinese cinema and and uh, Hong Kong films. Um, yeah. So he talked a lot about that. And once I saw that and I um, started to like seek that stuff out. And so <clears throat> I became a fan of uh, John Woo, like the killer, hard boiled, a better tomorrow. Yeah. Those movies with Chow Young fat are incredible. Like Mission those are the original John yeah. Wicks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a great one. <laughs> so yeah. So John Woo was like the master of, you know, these acrobatic gun battles um, that everybody loves now in John Wick. If you go back to the 1980s, late even the like late, late 1980s, John Wick was doing that. Like he was, he mastered it. And you can you can go back and watch those movies now, and they're not really so much about story as they are just the action set pieces. The action set pieces are so impressive that they hold up. Like they're so incredibly well scripted and chore uh, choreographed that they're incredible. Like they're so really, really yeah. good. Like they influence like the born identity and all that stuff later on. But those movies are great. Uh, all in, um, in uh, Chinese Mandarin or um, it's all subtitled. Uh, there's yeah. a movie called infernal affairs oh, that yeah. um, the departed ways based right. off Scorsese, of basically. Yeah. It, it's, it's better than the departed. I think it has much better. That's ending. right here. I have not seen it. It's, it's really, really good. Again, accessible. It's just like the departed, but better. Um, I highly recommend that. And um, one movie, of course, of Kurosawa, all the Se Seven Samurai, Rashomon, Yojimbo, those are great. Yeah. If you have any sort of love of Westerns, a lot of those are based off of those movies. So it's it's one and the same. Very similar themes. Um, really, really interesting. Uh, the characters, the acting. 
so acting in Asian cinema is, is it's it's very different than American acting. Obviously, it's a different continent. Yeah, but um, it's it's really interesting to see how how they contrast it or contrast it to modern American acting. Very very unique, different style. The line deliveries are all different, um, but it's fascinating to watch that moment in time where uh, the, these Kurosawa was obviously one of the greatest of all time. But again, like Bong Joon-ho, his visual style is unmatched. Like uh, everything looked like a painting. Like that was, so Kurosawa famously did his storyboards as paintings. Mm. Like it's, it's amazing. Wow. The paintings, that his storyboard of paintings. Um, and it, the way that his movie looks, his movies look just like that. It just plays out just like a series of paintings. Gorgeous. And um, this movie, uh, In the Mood for Love, Wong Kar Wai. Again, this is this is another uh, Asian cinema masterpiece. It's it influenced so many movies after it came out in two thousand. It's um, visually striking. It's a movie that holds up. Uh, just a romantic love story, and a very accessible. Just go into it, give it a shot. I think uh, you're gonna love it. It's visually if you if you have any sort of interest in the visual style of uh, cinema, I think you're gonna love any of these Asian movies or these Asian cinema, various Asian cinema movies, because um, for some reason they all focus on the visuals more than American um, directors. I don't know precisely why I never really looked into it, but I'm sure there's a reason for it. Most of these movies just look better than American movies at the end of the day. So Um, in the mood for love is like, it's also much better writing and just the, the relationship and the performances very very interesting movie i can't re- recommend it enough so that's just a few that really stick out for me um also i can recommend any of the french new wave stuff it's really good um you know so just give it a chance would be my <laughs> would be yeah. my uh request to you if you see an asian uh or a, a foreign language film and has subtitles give it a chance because give it a chance because it's probably worth it it's just getting harder and harder uh for people to give that chance because there's so much content. We're viewing a lot of it at home where there are distractions. It's not uncommon for people to, you know, sit down to enjoy a movie while also right. on their phone, which is an impossibility when you're trying to read subtitles. You will miss the film entirely if you, you are do doing it. anything else other than keeping your eyes on the screen. And when you're in a theater, you have really no choice but to do that. At least you shouldn't be doing anything else. Um, and so it's harder when it's at home. So I think it's in this day and age, it's harder than ever, I think, for people to truly uh, taken this, you know, foreign language cinema. Um, I was, I was just going to mention for me one super obvious one, very, very popular, but nonetheless, uh, I think I was like in the eighth grade when it came out and it was a phenomenon and a huge success, but I remember it opening my eyes to how different movies could be. And that was crouching tiger, hidden dragon, you know, that had a wide release in the United States, a lot of hype around it. It was, you know, it was billed in as this, you know, masterpiece, this visual masterpiece by Ang Lee. And, and it was that. Um, and Ang Lee has made, you know, a lot of movies, you know, both, you know, American Incredible produced Hulk. as well as in China. Um, Incredible Hulk with Eric Bana, <laughs> Gemini Man recently with Will Smith. Oh, yeah. um, some so those classics. I mean, he did Brokeback Mountain, which is pretty incredible. Oh, he sure did. And so uh, but I remember seeing Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon thinking like this is unlike anything I've seen before. Like it's just a un- this was a, it was a unique cinema experience. 
And I remember there being a lot of excitement around that. And and it got nominated for 10 Academy Awards. It made hundreds of millions in the box office. And so it's not like there's some obscure film that people don't know about. But at the age I was at, I remember thinking like, oh, there's there's a lot beyond our borders when it comes to cinema as an art form. There's a lot out there. Um, I know a movie recently, a French film called A Prophet or Un Prophète. I don't know how to exactly pronounce it in French. Um, uh, it's about uh, an Algerian in prison. And uh, it, it's just a very little scene film. I don't know anyone else that's seen it, but you had recommended it once. And I, I watched it several years ago and I was just like blown away. And I was just like, oh, wow, this like this is this good. And like no one's seen it. And like, you know, yeah. Yeah. So that's the crime of it. Right. Is like these movies are brilliant. But because we're dumb Americans, know, we well, just don't yeah, know anything about them. Well, I remember you mentioned Tarantino and Pulp Fiction. And it made me think about it, I don't know if you recall, but the lead up to Inglorious Bastards before it came out. There was all of these headlines about, like, is this going to bomb because two-thirds of the film are in subtitles? I remember that was, like, a big narrative being, like, like only Tarantino thinks he can get away with making most of the film, not in English. Like, this is going to be a disaster for, at the time, the Weinstein Company. I mean, they had a disaster coming, but it was a different sort. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, maybe we'll cut that out. But um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but I, I do remember... Th- like Deadline, Hollywood Reporter, Variety, all these these out you know Hollywood outlets were talking about how like, are people gonna go see Tarantino? You know, people love Tarantino, but this is gonna test people's real like their loyalty because it's in subtitles. It talked about it. You know, I, I realize the numbers probably show that less people or p- people are less willing to go if it's something that's in subtitles. But the fact that they thought it was gonna tank a Tarantino film, of course it didn't. It went on to be you know nominated for Best Picture, all sorts of awards. It's my very favorite of Tarantino's films, but also consider any sequence of that film that's in subtitles and imagine them doing it in English, uh, namely the opening sequence with the milk farmer. I mean, literally, the, they have to switch to different languages for the actual structure of the story, the way that he's trying to hide the fact that he knows that he's he's hiding his neighbors underneath the floorboard, all this stuff, you know, they switch between the languages, but also just the power of it being in French. It's in France in, in you know, the late 1930s or, or it must have been 1941, 42 at the time. And so... Um, I, it's just a better movie because of it. And so I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, of course, Tarantino is never going to be bullied into doing anything, you know, because it's going to be quote unquote more commercial or have more commercial appeal. But the reality is, is that like in his, in that case, that movie is way better due to the scenes with the subtitles. You just kind of have to have that. So um, anyway, but those were a couple of the, the, the foreign language films that had come to mind for me that are major hallmarks. Uh, I did want to touch on one other foreign film that you and I actually saw at Sundance in 2010. Um, it is, it's actually an Australian film, so it's not, not subtitled. So, it, it, but it's still, it plays into this theme of like, there's it could have, it might've deserved something. <laughs> yeah, not that I understood every word. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but Sundance is this funny thing where they have these different categories, right? They have this U.S. dramatic films that are in competition. They have the U.S. documentary and then they have world cinema. So world dramatic, world documentary. So they break, they break it up um, into these you know different sections. And so you and I had a break in between, you know, we were there. I don't remember how many days. It was three days, three, four days that we were seeing films in Park City up at the festival. But we, we had some tickets to some things. But we had a day where we, uh, you know, we didn't have tickets to anything and we needed to go see if we could wait in a waitlist line to see if we can get into something. And so you open up the Sundance programming guide 
And we were trying to pick something that we could get into because the movies with these huge names, you know, you weren't going to, unless you were getting in line four or five hours early, even then there was no guarantee you were going to get in. And so we tried to pick something that might be less popular. So we picked this film, this Australian film. And I don't know if you remember, but like in the Sundance Guide, there's literally a one line synopsis and a single still image that you get. Um, in fact, this is actually the still image. Um, and it's perfect uh, image for that movie. It's Guy Pierce <laughs> in a shirt and tie in a, in a kitchen. Um, and the, the log line is just about like this uh, crime, this family of criminals in Melbourne or uh, Melbourne. Um, mm-hmm. And something about, you know, a detective trying to bring them down. And that detective was Guy Pierce. That, you know, that was the main, that was the only name really that they were talking about. And that was certainly uh, the most famous name that I would have known from that cast. And so I remember thinking, hey, criminal drama, Australian, Guy Pierce. Um, yep. You were you so, introduced Memento to me, a film that I, I adore. And uh, I remember thinking like, this would be cool if we could get into this movie with Guy Pierce. And since it ended up being the actual premiere of the film, the first time they showed it, it was at the Egyptian theater on Main Street in Park City. I was thinking maybe Guy Pierce will be there. Most of the time, the main build actors are for the Q&A. And uh, do you remember this? Guy Pierce was not there. <laughs> yeah, no, he was not there. But we go into this movie called Animal Kingdom, okay, which is kind of an odd title uh, for a crime drama um, in Australia. But we went in there, and I just didn't know anyone else in this cast. I don't know if you were. Did, did you know any? Were you familiar with anyone's work in this cast? No, outside of Guy Pierce? not a okay. chance. So um, I'm going to show a couple other images on here. Um, so here's the poster here for Animal Kingdom. And uh, it's written and directed by David Michaud. I I don't know how if you recall the feeling after this movie ended. Um, the thing about I wish I, the disclaimer here is uh, at Sundance Film Festival, like at many film festivals, there is this buzz that can make you kind of feel like a film is much better than it actually is because you're seeing it with this crowd that's really electric and really excited to see this movie and they've been waiting and you're seeing it before anyone else is going to see it. And a lot of the cases, these films are waiting for, they're trying to get distribution deals and if they get them, they come out like nine months later, six to nine months later. And uh, a lot of times the directors and writers and actors are in the room and they do a Q and a, and it can kind of make a movie feel like, it actually is better than it really is on its own merits. But I remember thinking Animal Kingdom was like unbelievably good. And um, and that wasn't the effect of Sundance. We, we lucked into seeing a movie which was special. Uh, it was on Tarantino's list of his favorite films of 2010. It was number three on his top ten was Animal Kingdom. This is still a film to this day that most of the people I know in my life have not only not seen it, have never even heard of it. Uh, but what was crazy, Aaron, is the careers that launched out of this, okay? You and I literally pick a random Australian film, partly because Guy Pierce is in it, partly because it's Australian in the world category and the chances of us getting in on the wait list were a little higher. By the way, you and I were, right. were number one and number two on the wait list. That's and right. we literally were the only ones that got in. Yeah. Because it was the <laughs> premiere, it was like, and it was in the Egyptian theater, which is not one of the, you know, it's a nice venue, but it's not one of the big ones. It's not this huge, like, you know, 1,200 or 1200 seat theater it was like i don't know 300 200 to 300 maybe tops 200 probably but they only had only a couple open seats so you and i uh were really really lucky to get in and i remember we were sitting near the cast as you can see in this um in this photo here this is actually wow, from that night that. 
In fact, I remember that green jacket being worn by Ben Mendelsohn. But we see this film, again, an Australian film that most people here listening will not have heard of. But if I go one by one here and I talk about some of these people and what they have gone on to do since, it's pretty striking. So first, I mean, so the director, David Michaud, not exactly a household name, but he did go on to do The Rover with Guy Pearce and uh, Robert Pattinson. Uh, Battenson, your guy from uh, right. Good Time, and I think he did some other films. Um, no, <laughs> no, that's it. Um, but uh, so, but the director went on to make the Rover. He made War Machine with Brad Pitt on Netflix, um, and then again, I think he has a development deal with Netflix because he also just came out with The King on Netflix with Timothy Chalamet, yes. Joel Edgerton, uh, Robert Pattinson. But to the left there, we have Jackie Weaver. Jackie Weaver got nominated for an Academy Award for this film, for Best Supporting Actress, <laughs> which seems crazy to think about because people don't know what this movie is. It, it was so good, she got nominated for an Academy Award. And after this, she went to go star with Robert De Niro, Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, and Silver Linings Playbook, got herself another Academy Award nomination. Incredible. I did not know who this woman was before seeing her at Sundance. Uh, and they were sitting close to us. I don't know if you remember. Like, yeah. we were, they were right nearby. Uh, I remember looking at Ben Mendelsohn partway through the movie because in Animal Kingdom, he plays this kind of terrifying character. I remember seeing him in the theater being like, oh, that's the guy that's that's playing the character Pope. Uh, and I remember thinking he was as terrifying in person as uh, yeah. I mean, he I mean, he really has these dead eyes. Um, but, uh, you know, he's done some work since Animal Kingdom, Aaron. I'm not sure if you're familiar. A little bit. Like he's been in a thing or two. He's been in a thing or two. <laughs> Let me just rattle some of the things off. This 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 guy no one recognizes in Park City no one no one knows him from Adam, and you know shortly after this he goes and you know he's in The Dark Knight Rises you know he works with Christopher <laughs> Nolan, uh, he works with Brad Pitt and Killing Them Softly, um, he's with Gosling in Place Beyond the Pines shortly after this mm-hmm. uh, you know and then he goes and plays the main bad guy in a Star Wars movie, <laughs> uh, and then then turns out does uh, a, plays a baddie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Captain Marvel, <laughs> okay. incredible, and then you know works with Spielberg in Ready Player One. And somehow finds time to do like interesting independent films like Mississippi Grind with Ryan Reynolds um, and also a show on Netflix called Bloodline. And currently in a show that I quite enjoy and I'm watching on HBO called The Outsider, which is a Stephen King adaptation. I mean, mm-hmm. the du- this dude was nobody before this movie. Like he's worked with everybody was, since. Then. Yeah, there's a there's a very disturbing movie called Una. Oh, yeah. In. Uh, I have yeah, not seen not it. Not for everybody. Yeah. Him and Rooney Mara. It's a very disturbing movie. It's 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 good, but it's boy, it's a tough watch. Wow. But yeah, his career is just like it's a I rocket mean, it's, ship. Yeah, I it's taken it's taken off. It's just crazy that like again, this is just chance, and you know, I'm not doing this to necessarily brag or, or whatnot, but just the re- the fact that we were there at this moment before, like this was a lo- like a, literally several rockets about to launch from this. Yeah, I mean that's the magic of a, a film a film festival like yes, that, right? Yes, so. but this doesn't happen not like this. I mean, no way. This is pretty crazy. The the fact that we got in was crazy enough. Um, Joel Edgerton, by the way, you know, I, I you know I we've become huge fans of his, but he goes from Absolutely. here. He played Tom Hardy in Warrior, which is a incredible MMA film. He's in Great Gats, you know, plays in Great Gat, Great Gatsby with uh, Leo uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, I believe is his name. Uh, Zero, <laughs> I've heard of him. Zero Dark Thirty. Um, that that was a movie that that uh, that had some uh, had some heat behind it. Uh, you know, bit. playing playing one of the SEAL Team Six that uh, took out Osama <laughs> <laughs> He did some torture that worked apparently. Um, it always does. Uh, he worked with Ridley Scott in a movie with Christian Bale, which seems like a pretty big deal, even if the movie wasn't good. Black Mass opposite Johnny Depp. 
he was in Bright with Will Smith, like you know, Will sure Smith, was. one of the biggest movie stars of all time, which seems kind of crazy. Then he writes and directs The Gift, as well as co-stars in it with Jason Bateman, which is an incredible movie. Uh, very, very underrated. It was inc- Good movie. Really underrated. And then he works with Jeff Nichols on Midnight Special and Loving. I mean, the guy. He's not just a great actor, but he's writer, director. He's working on all kinds of things. But like, it's just going through that whole list there of people. It's, I don't know. It's wild to me that they've gone on to do the things that they've done. But most, the most important thing here isn't what they've gone on to do. Although it's kind of fun to see that we were there at the start of something that we would have never imagined. Um, I mean, I think we knew Ben Mendelsohn was special, and that. The, oh yeah, the and Jackie, was, uh, Jackie was too. Jackie was definitely special. I mean. It seems surprising that she was nominated for an Academy Award. It wasn't surprising to us because when you're watching that performance in Animal Kingdom, you're like, this is something. It's on another level. She's the best performer in that film. It's not even close. Oh, yeah. She was as good as, like, any villain you've ever seen. Oh, she's so good. Oh, she's so good. Oh, she has this line where she says, you've done some bad things, sweetie. And it's just, like, just haunting. (laughs) It's really great. Uh, You know what's really interesting about that is, like you said, most people don't know that movie. Yeah. But it was... It it was adapted into a uh, yes. TNT series. Yeah, that's right. Which is really bad, but I, it, the series has been going on for years. Have you watched anything? Have you watched any of it? It's I've seen a couple episodes. It's essentially Point Break. Like they oh, turned it, it into okay. Point Break. They, it takes place in is, LA. I'm, ass, I'm assuming. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Exactly. It's amazing that it was a, that they adapted it into. It. I hope. I hope mm-hmm. David Michaud and all people. I hope they got paid. Um, oh yeah. I, I Handsomely. hope. But. Uh, but just the fact that like a lot of those names are are well known now, it that movie that launched them, st- even though it has an Academy Award nominated performance in it, still is criminally underseen. Tarantino's third favorite film of 2010, and it's still criminal. And because why? It's Australian. It's Australian produced, filmed. It's that's a very it. very Australian movie in terms of culture and the family and the the location, and that's a barrier to people. And so anyway, my whole point of bringing all that up is that both for foreign language as well as just foreign films in general, like in the case of Animal Kingdom, there's a lot of great artwork or art out there, excuse me, a lot of great works of art that are worthy of exploration and certainly worthy of viewing. Parasite is one of them. Animal Kingdom is one one of them. And there's just a treasure trove of so many more. So, Give it a shot. Yes. Um, Anything else, Aaron, on Parasite or foreign language films before we wrap up this late night pod? No, I think we're good. I think we hit all the angles. Parasite is just incredible movie, so I'm it's glad we actually took some time to talk about we it. We needed to. We need. It was worthy of it, even before it won Best Picture. It was worthy of it, but especially once it it uh, sealed the deal, I was like, okay, we gotta we gotta dedicate a pod to it. So uh, we are part of the Bong Hive hashtag Bong Hive, <laughs> which was trending the night of the Academy Awards. Um, but uh, anyway, Aaron, thanks for joining me. We'll be back to discuss uh, what Sonic the Hedgehog is next on the. <laughs> <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog no. and Who Killed Malcolm X. Those oh, are the two things. I'm have you been right watching now. that? <laughs> I saw the first episode. Oh, did you? Okay. Oh, you, we should talk about uh, what is that? The the pharmacist. Oh yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, I was I had a I was I had a dialogue on Twitter uh, with the uh, linebacker for the New England Patriots, Kyle Van Noy. He wanted to know who had seen the pharmacist and what they thought, and uh, I was one of the few apparently. And so, uh, wow, really? Yeah, I mean, people aren't really watching. I think the title is keeping people away. I I was pushing it in our text threads multiple times. You got me to watch it. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. We should do an episode on that as well. Some other good streaming series that are that are happening. Cause, There's a lot out there right cause now. Because so. theatrically released things right now are well, it's February, so it's a little bit of a little point. So, but. the one I'm looking forward to is the new Ben Affleck. Uh, oh. 
basketball coach movie coming out next month. Mm. He did also just release a Netflix film with Anne Hathaway, which I believe. Did he really? Yeah. Well, Rotten Tomatoes scores I think is in the single percent uh, percentages. Wow. Apparently, it's awful. And so he's on a little bit of a cold streak. He doesn't want. I don't think he wanted people to know about this one. I, I think it's a very supporting role. It's Anne Hathaway's film, but uh, okay. But still, I think that. It, all of the, all involved don't want anyone taking a taking a look. I don't even remember what it's called. It's got a pretty mundane title. Um, but I was gonna say I think it's called "The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most," but that's a Dashboard Confessional song title. So it's not that. <laughs> I don't even remember what it's called. I was gonna called. say that's a great song. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, thanks again, Aaron, for joining me. And until uh, next time, have a good, good night. Stuff. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Brave Little Podcast. Hold on to your butts. 